Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. It's go time. It's uh, April 28. It's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. I've just been told at Greenwich Mean Time, it's not 5.30, it's Daylight Savings Time, but I don't know what the acronym is for... So in, in London, it's uh, 4.30, I think, or it could be 6.30. I have no idea. Sorry. It's not 5.30, though. <laughs> I'm gonna, next week, I'll put up uh, UTC. That's like coordinated time or something like that, just so you can set your clocks if you're dialing in from the moon or wherever you're calling in from. Uh, let us know in the comments where you're from so we can, uh, so we can enjoy that subsequently. <laughs> What's the market doing? A little bit of a runner-runner for value. Yeah, SPY is up like negligible amount. Yeah, it looks like the stuff that's really moving is like the airlines and cruise lines. All the all the go to go back to work stuff is uh, jumping over the last couple days. That'd be great. Go back to work. There's Chai Town. Qs are down Johnny a percent. Apple. See what the Russell. Russell's up one point seven. Tennessee. So, there you How go. You doing? Small. All right. Yes. Yeah. Whose intro is it today? Oh, I think it's mine. Brewster's Millions. I'm ready to go. All right. Welcome to Value After Hours. This is Bill Brewster with my co-host Jake Taylor and Tobias Carlisle. Jake, what are you going to be talking about today? Uh, I'm going to be discussing how I reason from the bottom up uh, using three different large data sets. From the bottom of your heart. That's right. And uh, Toby, what are you going to be talking about? Yeah, I love this uh, article that uh, Verdad put out on Monday when Buffett was a quant. Uh, not written by Dan this time, written by his partner, Nick Smith. So um, that's a fun read. Going to chat about that and some of the implications about that for the market and so on. How about you, Bill? And I'm going to be talking about holding as a superpower. I'm pretty sure I stole that saying from Jake Rosner at Coho Cap, uh, but it's... Uh, Tom Russo is proving it correct. So we're going to discuss that holding, right now. Holding is hard. Yeah, it's not easy. You want to you take that one away? It's kind of an interesting topic. You want me to start? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so Russo uh, released his you know letter to shareholders, and I got looking at some of the positions, and, and you just sort of look through. So like MasterCard, his cost basis – 7.9 billion current market value 93.5 billion um berkshire 17.6 billion how much money is he managing uh on 628 million so it's a 15 percent position now okay oh, so that was the market cap when he stuck it in not the yeah, size that's of his how position much he, yeah yeah total cost and market value today um the uh his total cost on Berkshire, $17.6 million. Current market value, $84.6 million. And Nestle cost basis, $13.5 million. Current value, $80.7 million. If you look at the aggregate gains in his portfolio, they are just under $300 million, it looks like. Uh, no, total, sorry, total gains, $363 million. Of that, $210 million looks like it's the top three positions. Right. So it's just one of those. I think it's a really I, I mean, and then his Comcast position, stupid, if these numbers are correct, which I assume they are on a three hundred and seventy three thousand dollar position. It's up to twelve million, twelve point seven million. So it's Should've just more. Yeah, I was I'm shocked he never averaged up, um, you know, so it's just one of those interesting peaks at if you just let your winners run what it can do i mean it's it's uh it's almost an argument for a coffee can portfolio or something like that i mean I, and this goes back to I, I think i mentioned this before but um greenblatt has mentioned that when he ran a concentrated fund he found that 
letting winners run was as hard. This is as, a special situations portfolio. Yeah, when he yeah back when he was running like six six things, he said it was mentally just as difficult to let winners run as to have losers. I would have thought special situations had a pretty you got a pretty hard catalyst. You know what you're going to get paid when you get the money back. That's it. It's played out. He's letting those run. Uh, I don't really know exactly what he was talking about, but I do know there were spinoffs too. Yeah, it's not have a. That's fair. And the other thing is, you know, I don't know if you think you have a four to one upside and you're at three to one and it's twenty five percent of your book, letting it eke out that last part of the run could be really difficult. Returns per decision is an interesting metric to think about, and Russo's got a pretty high score on that one. Yeah. Per position or per, per decision? Per decision. So does that mean if I buy, if it goes down and I buy a little bit more, have I made two decisions there, the initial purchase and the re-upping? Mm, I mean, probably technically, yes, but it's like a half a decision. I don't know. What do you, how would you guys measure that? I want the technical, I want, the, I want you to be technically correct about this, JT. Okay. I, I need to be able Technic- to code it into my system. Technically correct and directionally It's the best wrong. kind of correct. <laughs> yeah, I think even if it is two, you're not buying and selling and buying another security. I mean, he, he is very good at um, fishing in the pond that he understands and letting his, you know, oaks grow. Does he trim? He does. Well, I, he, we, I asked him or John, I'm pretty sure I submitted that question. John Mihalkovich uh, asked him. And he that at a manual of ideas presentation, and I'm pretty sure he said that he views that as cutting your flowers and watering your weeds, and he doesn't like to do that. Because the problem is that you get a position that you like. I don't know what you put into it, five or ten percent, maybe more at inception. It goes really well. You're up to like could be thirty to fifty percent of your book. At that point that it's run so far relative to the rest of your book, it's much, much riskier now than it was when it was a much smaller position because there's more kind of speculation in the price than there is. This is assuming that the value hasn't run as hard. Maybe the value has for him. I think it's hard to then say, well, now this is a 50% position and it's more expensive. It makes total sense to me to keep it as a 50% position. You don't want to trim it back a little at that point. I mean, I th- I think that this is where, like, the I, my perception is Tom Gaynor would let it run. I think this is where Buffett and Munger would probably say you let it run. Um, I, I mean, I think that's the thing that's pretty tough, right? Coke. I, yeah. That was maybe not a good letting it run. Well, but, I mean, you can't, like, when you get to that size, you can't sell in and out of a business yeah. like that. So you're going to pay the taxes and you got to figure out where to redeploy it. And then like, that's sort of a different issue, I think. But you've got so to... I, uh, Sorry. I did a, a little study at one point on uh, looking at different quantitative value is nothing as, as in depth as Toby's done with all of his different books, but uh, which you should pick up and read. Uh, but <clears throat> the, but one hypothesis. So I, I looked at that and I compared it to all of the gurus uh, that you know that you can find their track records. And I looked at okay over the same time periods, how did the studies perform relative to the gurus? And of course the gurus trounced the market, but the the studies actually trounced the gurus. And one hypothesis, uh, and obviously like, you know, there's some liquidity problems with some of these studies. Like you know it'd be really hard to actually execute it, but um, one of the one of the hypotheses I had for that was that the studies, because they were mechanical in nature of like buying and selling, that they would participate on the downside inefficiency by buying something that was cheap, but they could also participate on some upside inefficiency when it got over what when a, a, a guru might have sold out and missed out on some of the runs to the upside there. So maybe there was like this extra kind of headroom that that the machine was capturing that the human wouldn't why didn't the machine sell because it was on a rebalancing rather than it was was on a rebalance yeah it was like oh every two years it would rebalance but it had it had already like run up to past where maybe a guru would have sold it i'm a big believer in value names becoming momentum names and you lose some of the return if you 
sell them too early. So, you know, Graham says uh, you hold for a 50% gain or two years, whichever comes first. That's yeah. not, that's actually not really good advice. That's bad advice if you test it because the 50% gain means you're truncating anything that actually starts working. You're much better yeah. off ignoring that one. The two-year one is fine. Like that's how you get pretty good returns if you hold for more than a year. You get because there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't work out of the gate. Just stumbles. Like you, what are the chances that you get this thing at its low? Pr- pretty small, right? You're, you're getting it in the f- in the trouble that it's having. Then it takes a little while. It takes a few quarters for it to work out, and you could chop it out any time through there because it doesn't quite meet your criteria. But if you let it run for two years, often they do turn around, and then you get a lot of the gain just by nature, by by virtue of the fact that moves are exponential for, for securities a lot of the gain happens in the last few quarters year so it's worth holding for longer that's an argument for holding i guess that's a strong argument for holding yeah it's- well munger said like they they will hold securities at prices that they won't buy them um had tip to my man the science of hitting investing we were just talking about that yesterday that's a great line. Uh, yeah and Acri too, right? I mean, that's sort of the essence of what he he had written. And I think that I I think the sound reasoning that I have like heard about that or thought about is like you know it, it's hard enough to make one good buy decision. So if you hold something that's a little rich uh, and you're really trying to own a business for the long term, you know who cares if you take a little bit of a drawdown on a sort of inflated price quote? That's not the end of the world particularly if the underlying business is still going well. So that's the thing you have to be careful to distinguish yeah. between. If you're buying yeah, cyclicals, you, have to have that right. you kind of got to buy and sell cyclicals. But if you've got a really good business that is, that is a compounder, that does pay you to hold it for a long time. They're just hard to pick. No, they're not, apparently. Everyone's got a whole list of them. <laughs> was, that, was that Gainer or Russo? Which Tom was that? That I just talked about? Yeah. Was Russo. Yeah. Okay. I thought you said Gainer at one stage, but... I think Gainer is good. I I, I think uh, he's good at picking a horse and riding the horse and buying it over time. Yeah. Well, and buying it over time and, you know, measuring. I, 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 as I listen to him more and more, I think that's probably like if he has a superpower, that's what it is. Good comment here. That was Walter Schloss's biggest error, which he admitted not holding long enough. Good one to avoid there. There's a good there's a good podcast with Tom Russo and uh, uh, Meb Faber, where Russo gets right into his process. I enjoyed that one. His letters are so. crazy. They're like super in depth, uh, which I think some of it he's probably just writing to you know kind of clear his head, which we all do, right? That's but, the, yeah, uh, that's why you do it. That's what Buffett yeah. says that too. Yeah. Doesn't know what Taking he thinks him. until he writes it down. That is boy, amen to that one. Because sometimes you got to like. <laughs> You, you can believe it to yourself and then you try and justify it to someone else and you see all the errors that you're making. Lucky that one didn't get out into the uh, wild. Better strangle that one on the cot. <laughs> well, that's the great thing about being such a reasonable creature, though. You can come up with all kinds of reasons to justify Is that whatever. Franklin? I think so, yeah. That's a great line. Yeah, I had that pinned above my desk for a long time. Ironically, uh, most of the things that I have owned that have gone really well... I have not written up publicly. And if you scan my blog, you probably think I'm the worst investor ever invented because it's like basically airlines and ABM Bev, which sucks. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great job. Which is honestly part of the reason I haven't written again. Uh, I, I probably just need to get back on the horse. But part of me is like, man, once I make these things public, it's just destined to die. So well, maybe that's, I don't that's that. true. That's right. You got that consistency bias. When you say something publicly, you feel like you got to justify it. It's better to develop a reputation for being really inconsistent. And then that's the, that's what you got to, you got to maintain that. He's just really uh, erratic, mercurial, changes his mind <laughs> at the drop of a hat. That's the great thing about Soros, right? He says, I get a sore back and I change my mind. Like, yeah, that's a good. Why are you changing your position? I got, a, I got an ache in my back. Like, Isn't okay. that how you get a lot of action at the poker table too? Is people think that you're kind of a loose player? I mean, yeah, yeah, loose aggressive. That's yeah. That has been. I don't know if it still is, but when I was watching a lot of it, that was the way to play. <laughs> so, uh, two two quick things before we move on. Shout out to Jake for bringing up the topic that Paul Singer ended up writing about. Oh, yeah. did, you, did you advise mm. him on that particular 
Uh, well, part Paul's, of this letter. Paul's one of the blokes listening to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> ah, one of the ten. Yes. Gosh. I, I'll tell you what, Paul Singer, no. shout out to you, man. Good good job on the Argentinian boat. Not that you need me to tell you that, but that was a gangster move. What's harder, the Argentinian boat or Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> probably the boat. Touché. Well, probably Twitter, yeah. Do you uh, need your own private navy to take Twitter oh. uh, to task? Oh, I don't know how you're going to fix Twitter. You may. You honestly may. You may need, like, a bot navy to, to re-attack. Um, also thought it was pretty interesting that uh, Liberty Media did the big reattribution of the trackers after we talked about that two weeks ago. That was timely. On the day that our pod dropped. Yeah, fingers on the pulse. Another Some yeah, more guys I, listening to the uh, to the pod. Yeah, dude. Shout out to you, Greg and John. Thanks. Hope Denver's nice. Uh, and then the last thing, how do you not have Simons in your freaking uh, fantasy team, man? Uh, well, here's You're the th- not going to put right. him in? So evidently I was applying rules that nobody else was applying, which was that you had to have some money left over to, to, to manage the... Uh, and I was planning on like... So because I'm a value guy, I'm a deep value guy. Of course I'm going to pick Einhorn. He's a dollar. He's on the bottom line. He he ran some spectacular. He outperformed by twenty four and a half percent until two thousand seven. He's underperformed by a little bit since then every okay. year. But That's Einhorn cool. is a good investor. Doesn't explain leaving out the goat. Uh, look. I love Webb. Of course, I'm gonna. Of course, I'm gonna buy Webb. But at five bucks, like that's yeah. that's that uh, that's that's garp. That's quality. Uh, you gotta pay your stars, man. I'm a deep value guy. I'm gonna go off the bottom row. One dollar for each. Come on, but, t- Greenblatt at where he was priced was way underpriced. So was John Neff. There are a lot of guys who are just on the wrong rows there. That's like the Scotty Pippen Bulls contract. Yeah, right? like they're yeah. way underpaid. I, I announced my selection and I was over by a dollar and then I got blown up. So then I had to, you, I had to. You've mis- misunderstood the rules of the game. So. Jerry, Jerry Jones or something? You just throw money at this? Yeah, screw the calves. I get all the cap. I figured I I'd have Druck in there to hedge the portfolio. Yeah, that's fair. I wanted Lilu for China exposure. That's fair. Uh, Buffett and Simons. Or it's Simons, right? Yeah, I Not think so. Simmons. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I, w- I would probably go Greenblatt, but then I also threw an Ackman. Magic Formula like Greenblatt or... Uh, no, no. Uh, special sets Greenblatt. Yeah. Did I put Greenblatt in? Because I would have had him. I, I want a special situations guy. I think you might have. I don't know. I saw who you omitted and I got so mad I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Neff's my quant. Like, what is he doing? Did you see uh, uh, Jim O'Shaughnessy was talking about John Neff yesterday. So I, I got John Neff's book and had a quick read through it. doesn't really talk about being quantitative, but O'Shaughnessy had lunch with him uh, earlier on in O'Shaughnessy's career. And he, as John Neff was talking to him, he said, John, you're a quant. And he was like, no comment. So clearly Neff had a little bit of quant in him. Sounds like Icon's got a little bit of quant in him too. Calling for yeah. some uh, Graham and Dodd, a little bit more Graham and Dodd, a little bit less tech and tech Dude, and ironically though, a lot of his returns recently have come from like Netflix and. Uh, well, I think that was his son, wasn't it? I think he talked yeah, about that I'm a little just bit. Saying, like, he's messed around in some energy, which you know I still Herbalife. think would be a long. Did some pretty play. good money there. Yeah, he that was did. a deep That's value true. name. Yeah. He's Hurts, still... he did not. Hurts, hurts. I can't stun a little bit in biotech and pharma as well. He's He's got a good biotech pharma analyst, I think. I think it's one of those things. That I think he's a very good, you know, like he's very good at that portfolio manager level. He's very good at that poker player. Like he knows when to bet big and when not to. And the sh- a lot of the shot selection is brought to him by his team of assets. He's not necessarily picking those stocks by reading 10 cues the way uh, Buffett does. He's not doing that work himself, but he's very good at like getting the portfolio right. And that is not just me saying that. That's borne out by the fact that his uh, size, his actual portfolio outperforms a equal weight version of his portfolio. Yeah, mm. that makes that's sense. Interesting. Can I? Can I? I'm going to take us down one more path. Do it. It's something that I've been thinking about. So this uh, this this shit co that I love, Intrepid Potash. Uh, <laughs> The setup right here is directionally. They've invested like $500 million in low-cost potash mines, and they've invested like $100 million in acquisitions and building out energy infrastructure. 
their current market cap is something like a hundred million dollars. So like on a on a balance sheet or replacement value, one you have to answer the question: Are these assets worth replacing? But once you answer that question, and if you think the answer is close to yes, it's almost certainly cheap. The issue is it's pretty much controlled by one major shareholder. So like I've been thinking through. Uh, and how my thinking has morphed a little bit is on the one hand, the market rewards what the business and the assets are worth over time. But you're buying a minority interest. So if you're if you're sidecarring along a guy who hasn't really created value for 10 years, it's reasonable to expect those minority interests to trade at a discount, right? Because you're not as the as the minority holder, you don't benefit from that transaction. And oddly, it's actually gotten me to a point where I don't hate share repurchases as much because it forces return of capital to the minority shareholders. You don't like share and, repurchases? And not really, man. They're so pro-cyclical. Pro what about like, when they're called buybacks? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Then I, then <laughs> oh, I like buybacks. So, you don't, so wait a second. That, uh, that's news. You don't like buybacks? I think that it's a very. I, I don't like how management teams tend to execute. You don't that. like most buybacks. I, I am not like one of. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not one of these like outlaw buyback people. That's not me. I'm just saying. I think if you look at them, many management teams are basically momentum purchases. Yeah. Repurchases no disagreement from me there. Yeah, I think most that, buybacks are bad. But if you're buying in shares and somebody doesn't like the valuation, they can sell proportionately. And they do get a tax advantage capital gains rate, right? So there's some advantages. Anyway, I the minority interest discount, like when when money is not coming back to you, is the thought that I've been having, specifically because of that entity, which tortures me for no reason. I should just leave it like I left Saraguasto. <laughs> so why don't uh, ooh, timely? So why would you discount it? then something in like with a dual class structure as well? For same reason yeah i mean i think that the the onus is on the allocator to either grow the business or return the capital to the shareholders yeah I, I do think that you have to like one of the reasons that berkshire never did is because they kept increasing the intrinsic value so it was okay that they weren't returning it to you because they were using the dollars for something better but in a in an entity where the dollars are just sort of sitting there I do think it should sort of perpetually trade at a discount. You see, where my head's at. Chris Bloomstrand says that he thinks that Berkshire bought back twenty billion dollars of stock. Chris listens to this. No, I mean, I probably, but I, 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 I he, there was, was like a say, Forbes article. Shock or me! Shock me! Uh, if they bought in twenty billion, that'd be sick. Do, do you think Is that that's, what he said? Yeah, he, that's what he said. I mean, Chris would know better than anybody else. He follows them much more closely than anybody else does, but. I haven't looked at their filings or anything in a little bit. I don't I'm think there was any. Other... I don't think there's any suggestion that that's actually happened. I think that's him speculating. But no. he's pretty. Inf he's reasonably well informed. Gee, that'd be good if it did actually happen. Reasonably, I would. I would he's the axe on Berkshire. Pay a significant amount of money to just sit on in the corner while he went through a, a full breakdown of Berkshire. I tell you what, man, he's a good dude. Uh, I mean, I know you know him, but I, I, he's he's fun. We've had some fun together. Anyway, would uh, what, what, I mean? Would I get the sense that they hadn't done a great deal through this through that last little period from what Munger said? Because I, I sort of thought I was thinking likely that they've done a whole lot of buybacks too. But Munger sort of was like uh, just conserving cash at the moment, selling out of all of the shit goes like Southwest. <laughs> yeah, well, the facts change. Which just burned nine hundred for the quarter. That was fun. You got them. You've got Elliot. You've got Malone, you've got Gunlock. All of these guys say that the upside downside's icon. Killer. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think that I think the deals are on the come. I, I think everybody just wants it to be over with right away because we're all on Twitter all day, and it's just not how life works. Come at Mother Nature, you better not miss, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, All right, well, gonna... now that I've basically had three different topics... Uh, yeah, are you done hogging this thing or what? No, no, it's my hour. <laughs> you want to do... Uh, JT, you want to do yours? Yeah, we have like 30 seconds for mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, mine's mine's kind of like everybody's probably read it already, so it doesn't matter. I'm just going to be talking my book anyway. 
Yeah, yours is just a, a victory lap. In <laughs> mine's, mine's like more confirmation bias for deep value guys. Just more salve for the wound that's a decade yeah. deep. Uh, okay, so I thought it would be fun, and I'm punting a little bit too this week because I uh, I wrote this up in my last quarterly letter. Um, but this is how I reason up from large data series to arrive at some kind of what you would call like a capital T truth. And, you know, one of the problems that we have is that it's really hard to figure out uh, what is true and what's not true a lot of times. Like, how do you do we have enough data sampling to be able to say much of anything with a real with real conviction? Well, the uh, the, the first three, the number one data set that I look at is the inorganic universe. So this is like physics. What are the things that we can take from physics that will allow us to say- This is, this is really first principles. We're going deep first principles, yeah. So, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna relate this to uh, one specific idea, which is reciprocity. Um, and I'm gonna show how each three of these data sets show that reciprocity is a capital T true thing for us to hang our hats on. So in the inorganic universe, we have Newton's third law, which is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Okay, that's basically like reciprocity. Um, if you run something into something, you're, it's gonna bounce back. Or if you send a planet around uh, the sun, it's gonna come around the other side. Um, the second giant data series is biology. Uh, we have, you know, 3.7 billion years worth of data to look at here. So things that we can, uh, conclusions that we can draw from biology can be useful in other domains. So if you think about us, we're all made of eukaryotic cells and that is probably, probably came yeah, about. I, I remember that one means it's like multi as opposed to like monocaryote, something like that. Yeah, we're multicellular uh, and inside of these cells, there is it's high school a, biology bailing me out there. Yeah, exactly. Did they have that in Australia? <laughs> yeah, they did. They taught me stuff that's not true. I had to discover it afterwards. Phylogeny does not recapitulate ontogeny. But sorry, keep going. <laughs> um, so it's it's probable that eukaryotic cells came from two cell two two bacteria teaming up, and there's a couple of reasons why we might believe that. Um, one of the cells would be uh, or one of the bacteria would have been providing food and maybe movement and protection and the other one would probably be providing energy um, to the cell and so if you look at us today our mitochondria are they're determined 100 percent actually by your mother's lineage so the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell correct so we have one little thing inside of a inside of the cell that is is totally determined by your mom's lineage and the rest of it is a mixture well, isn't that kind of an interesting, like, why would it come out, come about to be that way? It's probably because two things teamed up together and, and like they were symbiotic in their relationship. So there's a reciprocity at a biological level. Okay. Does that, so does that mean that your, your energy levels are dictated by your mom? Uh, it's possible that the way that you process, uh, you, the way that you convert chemical food into energy that your body uses is largely determined by your mother's lineage yeah interesting hmm. so number three large data set human history and we have like five thousand years worth of recorded history if we go back to like sumerian cuneiform but above that we have like <laughs> two million years worth of i love your face toby like i love this i love i yeah. love this i love this whole thing it's amazing i do too i do All too right. So you have two million years worth of, we'll call it like modern, like what we, you and I would recognize as a human. Uh, and we were largely in hunter gatherers at that point. Okay. So if you like the hunter gatherer environment was very random, like you would go out for a hunt and chances are maybe you'd come back with an empty stomach. However, if someone you could, if you did get a big kill, unfortunately the meat spoiled before you could eat all of it. So you could actually store some of the meat in one of your friend's stomachs. And if they got the kill, they would then be reciprocal to you and feed you, right? So it was like, that was the first sort of insurance policies is that we came up with was come back with the kill and feed everybody in the tribe. And then when they get the kill, we'll get fed. So we are hardwired to appreciate reciprocity, to understand when someone is cheating us, uh, when someone is a loafer and not delivering enough. Like we, we are very attuned to that biologically and it's from two million years of evolution of, of that playing out. 
So all of these things, these three large data series tell us that reciprocity is a real thing that we can, that we can appreciate. What does this mean for investing? Okay, a business exists in an ecosystem and has to have reciprocity with all of the interactions that it has with its constituents. And so its constituents are the employees, its vendors, the 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 environment, the um, the co communities that it does business in, its employees, uh, and then customers, and then lastly, its regulators. So we have like six kind of primary constituents that there has to be some reciprocity that this for this business to operate and be sound uh, in a in a long term kind of way, like biology would would dictate. So. You have to look for when you're looking at businesses, you have to look for is there anywhere where that business seems like it's getting over on one of these constituents? And if it is, you have to kind of ask yourself, is this going to is this a sustainable business over a very long term? So, you know, we talk about wanting to, you know, be holding as a superpower. Well, if you're going to hold for a really long time, you have to have a business that is going to be win win across all of these these share these stakeholders. Uh, otherwise, eventually someone is going to defect because they feel like they're getting over. Uh, and whether that's employees unionizing, whether it's an employee or uh, the government cracking down on them for antitrust, maybe, or whether it's uh, customers feeling like they're getting cheated, like you know maybe a cable company and they're like, screw those guys, I'm hey, not going to do that. Hey, anymore. lay off, lay off. <laughs> I knew I'd throw that on Bill. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, if you if we take some really long sweeps of data series, we can maybe apply that to to our investing framework and, and look for those kind of outcomes. And and what the beautiful thing to me about that is is that all of that is a win win for society and all of us who are participating in this. And I find that to be like a really beautiful thing about capitalism when it's done well. Uh, is that it really does have to be win win for everybody. Uh, and it's like. It's such a magical thing, and it kind of surprises me sometimes how we, we try to like squish it away. But that's that's a different. So uh, let me throw a couple. I went full Peter Kaufman on y'all, just so you know. Let me it let is. me throw a few names at you. And you, you... I didn't want to say that because he doesn't like attribution, but. No, well, that's like the stuff he preaches, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, I want to just throw a couple of names at you and get you to talk a little bit about their ecosystem applying those rules. Amazon. A uh, little bit problematic in their how they treat suppliers, probably. Um, probably a little problematic on uh, employees in the warehouses. Yeah, that's. I mean, they also did this thing today where they've reduced commissions for affiliates yes. from eight percent to three percent. Good time to do they it. On, they right. only do it so you can get diapers cheap and quick, man. So yeah. somebody's got to lose. <laughs> Well, that would eventually somebody will figure out a way to revolt against that if they're getting pinned down for long enough. So, how we'll about see. Google? Uh, yeah, in general, pretty clean. Yeah, but but uh, what's funny? Some is of the data, like the how facts. are they use, how are they using the data? Uh, Facebook seems a lot to, more offensive to me than yeah. Google, even though. Google probably has just as much, maybe more, on me. Yeah, definitely. Probably a lot more, actually, across wider things. Yeah. That's interesting. The, my beef with this is, like, I've had, I've had this discussion as it pertains to airlines, so get your drinks out. Um, but, you know, like... It, Somebody told me that they thought that Southwest was very customer focused and Delta wasn't. And I have heard from a lot of people that love Delta and say I'll like Delta Delta's actually great. is. I know. Well, that, so I think that you can get into pretty subjective stuff here. Um, but I, I don't disagree with the theory, and I think that the thinking it through is super important. But Toby, to your point, like I hate Facebook uh, and everything that it represents to me. That said. You know, you talk to somebody like Marcelo P. Lima, and I think he has pretty compelling arguments on the other yeah. side for what it can do for society. And, you know, it, like when is it going to start doing those things? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the thing is, like the Internet in general, I think the problem with with Facebook is they sort of privatize the Internet. And when you privatize the Internet, you get its ugly corners, too. Um, 
And like that sucks. Especially when stupidity can ring louder than rational thought. Well, you know, I do think there are definitely some shades of gray to all this. You can't just say like it's not binary if someone is clean or dirty. Uh, but there are some that are more obvious that people are probably ignoring a lot of times, and I think eventually it will bite them in the ass. Here's it may take one a long time. I, what about Disney? Well, I'm sure they doesn't seem like they're treating their employees particularly well in this time of need. They're also what a bit nasty on the copy, copyright front. Like they've got little deals and they they come after you for copyright. And that silly thing on Twitter where they said, "Tell us what you feel about." whatever it was and then they put straight underneath and by the way if you respond to this email you've given us the rights to use your likeness in this tweet in perpetuity totally binding binding agreement <laughs> i mean they're they're one that i would say uh and i have friends that are long it and i'm sorry to say i i don't think that they are particularly concerned with treating everybody well they just have a really really u- unique experience in ip so they can charge you enough that you have to take out a credit card loan to go there or, you know, a, a yeah. second mortgage or whatever, and people do it. How about from from the owner's standpoint, which is another one of the constituents that I forgot to say, and having such, maybe I'd call it egregious comp for the management, like that is very, uh, that's, that's a little chiseling of the owners, isn't it, to pay some of these guys so much money? Did you see that yeah. SBC thing that I tweeted out yesterday? It's yeah. not my chart, yeah. somebody else's chart, but holy cow, like some of those companies have just been blasting out 20% stock-based plus. Compensation, stock, way, sorry, the... stock-based compensation, pardon me, yeah. stock-based compensation just through options and so on, like 20% a year. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, only thing I'll say real quick on the comp, for, like, with Disney particularly, Iger has added a lot of value, man. He like he set that company up. That could be a dying company right now if it wasn't for some of the moves he made. Did what so, was the quit, quit and then pay. come back? What was all that about? Uh, dude, he he can't he can't let go. It wasn't just. I thought, I thought that, that was really funny, right? It's like here's a new CEO and he's super prepared. And oh, by the way, shit just hit the fan. I need to take this job back. See, I read it like, the other way around. You're out. <laughs> yeah, I read it like, well, well, everything... you could run it when everything was good. I didn't mean like you could run it, run it. <laughs> I, I thought that was the other way around. I thought he was like, this is all sweet. And then, oh, air pocket. I'm out. Pull the, pull the parachute. And then it was like, uh, we ride that ship surprisingly quickly. It's not like an 18 month rip up. Uh, I want to get back in the plane and you're out, brother. This is like when you give your little brother the controller that's not even plugged in and he thinks he's playing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun, Chapik. Toby, what's your topic? Yeah, so I, uh, sorry for all of the uh, Deep Value guys who followed me into Deep Value and have uh, have just endured years of pain in it now. I, I, the only thing I can say is that I've been enduring at least as much pain as you have. So uh, I, I'm 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 in there for real. Uh, but a nice thing came out um, from Verdad. Uh, Nick Smits, who's one of the, I think he's one of the partners there, one of uh, Dan's partners. Who's your Verdaddy? Who's your Verdaddy? <laughs> Someone's got to get that Twitter handle right, Verdaddy, at Verdaddy. Yeah. Uh, basically, the it, it's when Buffett was a quant, talking about when Buffett was much more mechanical, so sort of going back to his net-net days, makes a little bit of a leap because Buffett's not, was never kind of this kind of quant. But it is interesting that the, the chart that they put up is interesting. It's one that I've shared in the past too. It just shows the the cheapest decile in the FAMA French data, the free cash flow yield. I think it was free cash flow that they put up. Yeah. It's now um, at this point where the last times that it got as cheap as this, the returns that immediately followed were spectacularly good, like 20 to 30% a year type returns. And so... Um, you know, to get to this point, obviously, that's a very painful underperformance and um, it, nobody's enjoyed it, including me, but I'm sort of hopeful that the forward returns look much better. Uh, of course, it can always get cheaper, but basically the opportunity set, and I have been saying this since the start of the year, I've been saying this since maybe a year ago, the opportunity set is basically as good as it ever gets for this stuff. So it, I think the market is expensive and the market's going to do what the market's going to do, but the deep value stuff is basically about as good as it gets and particularly in small, small value. Small value is just ridiculously good value at the moment. 
Anybody want to confirm my bias? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this. Uh, my opinion is that we're shaping up. Maybe not totally there, but um, what are you waiting for? Up. What are you looking to see? Uh, I just worried that it could. Like we we haven't taken out seventy three, seventy four level of on that chart. Yeah, and that's a, still a ways away. Actually, how far was I mean, it? Uh, that was down to like, what was it, one point five or something? Uh, price to key, free cash flow. And where are we and, now? And uh, what was it like, two and a half or three or something like that? Uh, but the other the other problem is. Uh, I want to, I'm not entirely sure that it's apples to apples with the debt levels might be a little bit different across those, uh, across that data series. But yeah, that's price to free cash. So that's a good point. Yeah. When you, when you, um, when you add in the debt, it's not quite as cheap because we're a little bit more indebted than we have been in the past. That's true. Yeah. But I think if you, that, and that turns up, if you have a look at uh, Alpha Architect's website, they've got a EV EBIT tracker that goes back. So it says that uh, value is pretty good value at the moment, but it's not it's not as cheap as it has been at other notable turning points. The only thing that I would say to that is that when uh, when Cliff Asness wrote his uh, venial value sinning article and then followed it up with the uh, never has a venial value sin been punished so swiftly or so brutally, uh, that he talks about using an ensemble. And when he uses the ensemble, he said, basically, you're at this point where we either proceed on to dot-com kind of undervaluation, possible, like there's, we've done that before. But if you're betting on us going to dot-com undervaluation, you've got to know that we're in like the 97th or 99th percentile of undervaluation here. So there's much more likely that we go back in the other direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, this. what I was going to say was that if, we're getting close to, or at least maybe already there, this, I would call like the value guru making setup. Like 99 was when, if you started in 99, yeah, you had a really good shot of coming out of that as a guru. Yeah, that's um, Pabri Spear. I didn't want to name any names uh, uh, to, to take away from their glory, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot Einhorn. of guys that came out of 99. Uh Who's the original? I just I'm blanking on his name a little bit at the moment. The original kind of activist of that period. Um, Loeb. No, not Loeb, but he is another one in that group. Uh, the guy who was Sears. No, oh, Lampert. Bruce Lampert. Berkowitz. Lampert. Lampert. Oh. Lampert. And Berkowitz. Well, Berkowitz was before it too. Like he was early '90s, but. Yeah, there's some good reputations to be made when value starts working and the market goes down. You look like a genius. I've had it the other yes. way around, so I'm not going to be able to claim <laughs> that I'm a genius if it starts working. I'll be like, uh, yeah, I'm just a value guy. But it would be nice, you know. I've been imagining what it would feel like. Yeah. <laughs> it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Are you, do are you doing little Forbes interviews, like into your comb? You know, you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> into the mirror. <laughs> Why, yes, Consuela, we did have a very good year in 2021. <laughs> uh, sad but true. Uh, yeah, you've made it when you get on Consuelo Mac, right? That's how you know. Yeah, that's how you know you've done it. Tell you what, she's got a pretty legit podcast. Yeah, it's great. That, uh, I mean, every every Saturday, I'm like, all right, I'm happy I spent my 30 minutes here on one and a half speed. So really like 18 minutes or whatever. She seems Once like a hustler. I like her. What? Yeah, what is it? Yeah, she what, asks good questions. What too. is Wealth what, what, what is like? Well, I watch it, but I watch it on the, I watch it screen on the web but it looks like she shoots it for a studio for some any ideas what it is uh, how do they i don't know how they make any money i don't know what like they're selling behind it's that one of the original well, podcast, she's sponsored right? by some of the yeah. investment advisory firms right okay feels a little like promotionally to me but she's got such a wide uh array of people that she interviews it's green I, mean, I, I don't royce uh pays for that don't they i remember yeah, and it's not like Chuck's on that every day, so I don't think it. Uh, I think it's. I don't know. Maybe did did she come up when Wall Street Week went out? I mean, now I'm just asking stupid questions. Somebody's probably like, "This guy doesn't yeah, know." It's he's hard. I I feel like she's always been there, but I feel like Wealth Track's yeah. always been there. PBS Corporatus is PBS, yeah. So that makes sense. I feel like it's been there forever and ever, but I don't know when it. I don't know anything about it other than it is worth listening to, and she always gets Greenblatt. And Greenblatt appears so he's irregularly. Get, yeah. yeah, so it's always good for that. 
Apparently, you can get them for three dollars on Twitter. <laughs> Do you guys want to throw in your questions? I've actually got a good one up here uh, from Brad Schultz. He said, "Generally agree with Toby, but I worry about bankruptcy risk in small value." Yeah, one hundred percent agree there. If there's a place where it really pays you to do some work on the balance sheet and to look at statistical measures of financial distress and earnings manipulation and fraud. It's in small value. The dispersion in, va- in small is so big that if you eliminate all the bad stuff, you do much better than the index. And then if you're actually reasonably skillful and you can find, it doesn't have to be value, but value when value works, value is one of the things that does it. You can do other things like momentum and so on. But if you can find the stuff that works in there, then you can distinguish yourself again. So value is a really, the good value investors, sorry, the good investors who are good small cap investors are really good investors. So Ian Cassell always springs to mind when I think about those guys. What, uh, isn't well, it priced, priced in there though? Like what, why, uh, so I'm just thinking out loud here, but like, I think you said before that when net nets, like the ones that are actually losing money tend to outperform the ones that are not losing money because it's kind of more of a catalyst. So I distinguish Uh, small cap from net nets. I think net nets is sort of a special case. Well, let's, but let's just take that same sort of like mispricing potential and apply it to the small cap world. Like why wouldn't the bankruptcy ones, why would sheltering those or filtering those out make for better returns? Because b- bankruptcy and indebtedness are different. Th- I mean, bankruptcy is obviously that's a binary thing. If something's bankrupt, then that's game over. But financial distress is like trending towards bankruptcy, and that is sort of something you, you can distinguish from just being indebted, because there are other things going on, like there's liquidity issues and solvency issues and various other. You know, if you're looking for like, there's often there's a lot of share issu- issuance for these little ones. That so, like that's okay, but that's just worth keeping an eye on. Share-based compensation, it's not only important for, for large-cap tech, it's not also just, important. Large-cap tech can get Silicon away with Valley it. Silicon Valley trick. Large-cap tech can definitely get away with it. Small-caps is like, it's kind of the frontier. Like it's, I think it's the most fun area to invest and it's also the area that's most easy to blow yourself up just because there are lots of bad actors. I think about this all the time. Like I would love to, if I had enough, if I had enough money to hire an analyst who could just focus on this one thing and just go around and pick out all the bad actors in not, not just small cap everywhere. Like who issues too much more stock than revenue like Snapchat does? Who does stuff like that? Like who's just enriching the insiders? Who's paying the insiders way too much? Who's basically ripping off their clients? I mean, ripping off their shareholders. I'm not even talking about the business. I'm just talking about guys who are just yeah. in there to extract it from their shareholders. Um, I think that you could make, you know, that's a pretty good, I don't know if they're a good shorts, but it would be worth someone like just drawing that to everybody's attention because I reckon it's like a third of small caps are like that. You're telling me you can't get some college kid to be your intern to do that stuff? You got books, man. Probably, but I... 50,000 followers. There's not one in there that wants to... <laughs> yeah. You're I, an influencer, bro. Oh, uh, <laughs> I would, I would, t- I just, I would turn it... Like, I'd almost want to go activist with some of these things, and I don't want to go activist, but I think it would be just worth it for... I wish somebody would just publish that stuff and just tell everybody who the bad actors are so they cleaned up what they do. Behave a little bit better. I would maybe Yeah, well, they don't. That's no. the problem. No. But yes, that's what they should be doing. You should just be sending briefs to the SEC. Yeah. It's like it's like activism as a public service or something like that. Like not not necessarily to make money because I don't think you could long them and I don't think you could short them. You'd have Speaking to go activist. SEC asleep at the wheel. Do you guys see that? Uh, apparently, Musk is he's paying for the insurance for his. Uh, is he board. paying, or is he just is he just saying he's insuring them? Oh, I thought he was paying the premium for the insurance. See, the way I, I interpreted it was the premium was too high. So what he's going to do is he'll insure them instead, which means if they get an issue, he'll he'll just underwrite it. Self-insuring. Does that work? Can you can a uh, can an empty sack stand up under its own weight? I don't know. Woo, cool. I don't know that I want to get into this. <laughs> Come on, the water's fine. <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, it would be one thing to say, look, the premiums are too high. You give us coverage up to one level and I'll reinsure above that level. That's one thing. It's a completely different thing to say, we don't need the insurance. I'll underwrite. I gotcha. What if you're sued too? Don't worry about that. Yeah, no. Is that, I'm not, is that legal? I'm not even sure. It seems like a weird conflict to me. On the board okayed it. About it. The oh, board Elon approved Musk, it. 
is the corporate Trump. There's nothing that he can do that his followers or his board are going to stop him from doing. So it just is what it is. And the lines are divided and everyone will see what they want to see. Let's see. Let's see how the time shall to say. As we were talking about small cap value, I'm looking at stuff that's ripping right now. Uh, my beloved airlines. United up working? 11 United up 11 per, I mean are they working it all depends on your time frame right but today uh, yeah. yeah United yeah. up 11% American up 13% Delta up 10% we got a vaccine Southwest <laughs> well that no that's that's actually exactly where I'm going with this Southwest is only up 2% Ugh. when you think about all those Southwest has the most domestic network out of anyone and the least amount of leverage Southwest reported the last junk rally yeah it's uh i mean you've got like massive international travel exposure in those other names and a lot more leverage it's uh interesting to see what's going on to say the least chamath so he's been out i'm I'm probably mispronouncing that but he's been out uh talking about buybacks and so on i think the first little run that he had was pretty good second one buyback kind of uh playing a few wrong notes there for me personally but uh do you guys want to take any of that Sure. I've been told I'm opinionated, so here one goes. Uh, That's what a podcast is for. Yeah. No, I think the guy is a joke when he gets outside of his lane. And I think he's obviously intelligent, and he's made a ton of money. And when he talks about tech, I listen. And when he talks about Berkshire, I don't. What did he say about Berkshire? Berkshire? I don't know. He said something about Berkshire Hathaway Energy, like runs with negative equity or something like that. I I think his stance on... I think his stance on buybacks is ridiculous. I think he suffers from buyback derangement syndrome like everybody else does. And, you know, he's got like this vision of the world where he's right and no one else is. And I get it. But, you know, he's just some tech bro to me. I'll listen to him talk about tech. Do you know anything about the specs? No, and I would never invest with him in a SPAC under any conditions, no matter what. That's as opinionated as you're getting out of me. JT? I have not, nothing to add. Nothing to add. Very monger of you. Yeah, I like I, I like this first thing. The fact that I don't understand is like, I I, I mean, he has proven uh, that. I do he, have one thing to add. He definitely helped Facebook become what it became, right? So like that's super important. But like I don't. Zuckerberg is the strategic visionary behind that company. I don't know that you just give him a, like money for a SPAC. I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially yeah. when like he's out in, in on like at Stanford saying like, get the fucking money, then change the world. Why am I going to give you my money? Like, screw you. I'll change the world with my own money. I don't know. Is, is he involved with the, the Virgin Galactic? I think someone did say that. Yeah. In the, in the, in the, I think he does. So it. that's one that's been puzzling to me is that, uh, Branson's like scrambling to get to keep Virgin going for like regular, you know, actual humans needing to move around the earth for probably legitimate reasons. And somehow space is still <laughs> still high. Yeah, well. What? Yeah, that is a puzzler. Okay. I'll just say this about SPACs. Like SPACs are like giving a manager who you like the money to invest in something that they don't know what they're going to stick the money in. I just usually don't like to play that game but i would specs become interesting when the time's about to run out and they have to give the money back because often they trade at a big discount and they're under some pressure to do a deal and you get a pop so i don't mind them as like a little special situation play close to the i think it's usually two years when the period of time's going to run out and they're going to give you back the money so they're worth watching like if you see one put it in your calendar for like 18 months time and just start looking at it then the, uh, the other thing that I – like the ones that I've looked at, and they've only been a couple, like the amount of capital that the GP, for lack of a better term, puts up is like nothing. And all the incentives to me seem to be to do a deal to enrich themselves. Like, I just don't – under the incentive structure just seems like way out of whack. Yeah. I, if I knew the person and they had a track record, then maybe. Chamath but, is ver- chairman of Virgin Galactic, just to confirm. Sorry yeah. for not knowing that, everybody. Um Here's one. I can't believe we haven't talked about this. Munger's not doing the, the Berkshire meeting this year. Uh, yeah, heart is sad. broken. He doesn't know how to use the internet. What do you expect? Come on, dude. He can't. Someone can't. can't someone can't set him up with a camera and a bowl of peanut brittle, 
and let him watch from home and kind of just like Statler and Waldorf the whole thing. Can you drive over to his house in Pasadena, Toby, and get him hooked up? No, don't give him coronavirus, man. Stay away. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a no super spreader. No one be anywhere near him. I don't, I don't know. It's a, sh- it's a shame. He can't Skype I don't in. know, but I've got, uh, I got my box of C's candy ready. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be dialed in for this. He looked reasonably good at Daily Journal, I thought, right? I mean, and his sure. his tone was good, so I don't think it's a health issue. I just, I do people know if he has a computer at his house? You would think he, he has to, but I mean, he talks about never never even using Google. It's hard to think that you have a computer and haven't used Google. Google's only available on <laughs> computers, correct? Yeah, well, he, he's I got the printouts. Phone, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Does anybody have any interest in us, like mystery science, three thousanding the uh, the whole thing? Like that's a, that's a long haul. But do you guys have any interest in doing that? Maybe uh, we'll just do. A... I don't want to be know. distracted. I want to. You want I want to focus. be focused in on it. But I would like to do a pop episode after, like a like a post game show. I'm, I might I be. Uh, I might be three sheets to the wind by then. <laughs> We're Even gonna better. have to circle back. I don't know if I'm going to be available. Um, <laughs> What are you doing that's so important? Get the get out of here. I just don't know. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, we killed that one. I I would like it. I just I've got other stuff going on. So Well, we have to do well, I guess we'll do we'll do one of these straight afterwards, so we'll be we'll be close. Yeah. Maybe we'll record it and do it afterwards. I don't know. I don't know. It's seven hours. Is there is there like a is there like a hit a highlight reel? Is it going to be all seven hours? I thought it was only going to be three this year, but I could be wrong. You, I haven't well, really paid attention. You know, well, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't paying attention at the time. Does, isn't to be usually fair, like the... even when it's live, I'm usually the guy that's booking Harrah's like three weeks before the actual <laughs> event. Uh, I'm like always in council bluffs because I was delinquent on my planning. You could sleep on the floor in my hotel room if you need to. It's fine. I mean, I get to look at the river and whatever. Take my walk. Gambling. Over I've there done. Too. I've done Harrah's and the. Uh, there's like a Holiday Inn or something that's that's where everybody who goes to the Omaha Correctional Facility stays. So they've got all these signs up about, uh, you know, uh, not white, visits. No slave. Tra- you know, don't. <laughs> what is it when you you get somebody and you're like trying to get them across the? You know, you get a child. You're trying to get them across the uh, border. Uh, There's like all of these like little little people signs like. Watch you're out talking for about like human trafficking. Human trafficking, thank you. Yes, Those human are trafficking the signs, signs in the hotel you're staying in. Yeah, dude, it's the it's the Omaha it's the one where you stay if you if you're visiting the Omaha Correctional Facility. I'm glad I haven't stayed there. I tell you, it's cheap though. <laughs> it should be. That's. I mean, this is the difference between price and value. Who's your cellmate? <laughs> Well, it's it's very deep value, and deep value's had a bad run. If deep value goes a little bit better, maybe I'll be staying at Harris next time. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, just don't drop the soap in that place. <laughs> well, I think we're kind of running out of stuff. Unless anybody's got any uh, got any words they need to say before the time. I got nothing, man. I hope everything. Uh, you know, I hope these opening ups, the opening up of the economy goes well. I hope everybody's. Uh, responsible i'm more hopeful than i have been but i don't uh like if you listen to what bill gates has put out the past week no what did he say yeah the thing that's tough is like so he's basically preparing everybody mentally for like spring 2021 if you want to be optimistic come on so yeah i mean that's i'll take my chances before then well, dude, and then you look at what the market's pricing in, and it's like, I don't know. What's, you know, what's going on here? And But, you know, the market discounted this thing from January to March, and it was wrong, objectively speaking. So now I think it's a little interesting that I perceive people to just be looking at Bill Gates as, like, the guy that's too dug in on his view. You think it was over? You think it was too pessimistic in the March 23 low? Uh, I would not be shocked to see that retested. Yes. I saw uh, they've been polling the uh, group of super forecasters that Phil Tetlock does and uh, asking them COVID questions. Yeah. And one of them that was scary was about vaccines. And um, if I get it not right, like 30% of the super forecasters said no, no chance of a vaccine until 
uh, basically like 18 months from now. And then another like 40% of them were like into 2022. Aren't so we all going to have it? Yeah, well, maybe. Well, maybe. How, haven't we got an old school star? The who, the WHO, they, they say, uh, you know, even if you've had it, there's no guarantee that you're immune the next time. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Or a different strain or if it mutates. Like there's still a lot of things that could could go wrong in this plan <laughs> well at I least a couple of states texas god bless texas gonna roll out gonna test it all for us see how they go vegas strip yeah. as well gonna I, find out and i hope they i hope it goes okay you know i hope that uh i would like it to i don't mind the little ab testing hopefully uh you know it doesn't end up in anything catastrophic and on that note <laughs> thanks folks yeah. that was really fun <laughs> have a good week we'll see everybody all next right. week enjoy berkshire Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13 Sing one, one.